Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Control of Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry. Episode 162, as always, I'm joined by Dom. We're still praising the sun. Still praising the sun. Uh, and Jordan. Still letting the old blood guide my way, though. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Uh, since you finished last week, you were the last one to talk about what you've been doing and playing. Uh, Jordan, you want to start us off? Why not, Jared? There's certainly plenty to talk about. Um, first, since it's the most recent thing that I uh, have been experiencing, is uh, something that I guess you can both find interest in, um, and that is... You ready for this curveball? Wolverine The Long Night, which is a podcast by Marvel. Oh yeah, the audio... A, um... a scripted fictional podcast about Wolverine. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. So... Currently, two seasons of 10 episodes each, about 30 minutes a pop, and I am, what did I just finish, chapter 6 on the way home? So I've been, you know, listening to it, to and from work, and um, so it is about uh, this town in Alaska that's been experiencing murders that look like they could be... uh, connected to Logan himself, Wolverine. And there's these two federal seeming, like, well, they're definitely federal level agents uh, that come in to Burns, Alaska to investigate the situation. And a male and a female. And I would say that they're the lead characters. Um, And I would say that is probably where my uh, first complaint comes in is that um so how about we do this why don't you guys describe to me the most stereotypical female investigator in a television show or movie that you can possibly think of i would say a woman in black slacks a white dress up well this is a podcast yeah yeah oh yeah so you're saying describe just voice i mean like personality oh uh just stern tomboyish and overly masculine i guess yeah went through some trauma in her past (laughs) and uh you know externally very hard i guess i don't know okay so exactly (laughs) not i'm not sure about all like the like mannish tomboyish things but um stern you use the word stern jared um kind of like you would expect hard-nosed uh, ice in her veins, cold-blooded type of thing, right? She's she's hard-edged, right? Yeah. This chick is written just about as as stereotypically as you could possibly imagine, and it's really unfortunate because you know, obviously, um, we're in a time right now where people are trying to get better about the way that they write characters um, outside of traditional male heroes right so um it is unfortunate that we're still in a place where marvel's doing something interesting here it's essentially a radio drama situation in a podcast form and so but i still think they're doing something new obviously and um we've seen stuff like this with like halo 5 right jared do you remember that the name of that podcast it's about like master chief being a bad guy oh, like, yeah. they were trying to set that up Chase for oh, the first something season. lock, something lock. Yeah, that one was pretty good. I think uh, 
what is it, Janina Gavankar? I think she was in that. Um, is that am I saying her name correctly here? Uh, Janina. Uh, Sounded right to me. Gavankar, I believe, is how it's pronounced. Yeah, sounded yeah. right. Yeah. So, Tomato. anyways, she starred in uh, the Battlefront Two campaign. Hunt the Truth, and, I think, is the uh, name of it. Hunt the Truth. Thank you, Jared. And season one was good of that, but then season two was whatever, and then it it falls apart when you realize that everyone's saying the game's not even about this situation. Like, they're trying to make Chief out to be the bad guy, and that's not really what it's about. Um, and Locke being this whole thing. I don't know why I'm still talking about Halo. Anyways, Wolverine the Long Night. Um, it's just unfortunate that this, this female lead is so... She's really just rough just rough character writing and um the actress that's playing her is just saying every word like as hard as you could possibly do it like punching every single word there's an edge to every single fucking word and so it's just like uh it's really grating and it is what makes me not want to watch cop shows is as soon as the female detective walks in she's like like i said she's like cold-blooded and stern like you said and there's just so many other ways to write a character and I feel like these are the the uh, traps that we have to or I would really like to see us get out of in character writing of all kinds and all different forms of entertainment so um, that has been probably the worst part of the, the show I guess you could call it um, but then you have um, really good I would say like ancillary characters because obviously they're going around all these places and interviewing people um so i really enjoy that um and then richard armitage who's a british actor plays the voice of logan and he's just fucking on point dude like i would love to see him voice acting in some you know maybe animated or possibly even video game roles uh for logan wolverine because man he fucking nails it it is awesome so there's that um i guess my other complaint would be the fact that the sound recorded the sound recording i should say is uh done in such a way where it's kind of really meant to be like environmental so if they're in an echoey room like someone's office uh or whatever with you know uncarpeted floors then I guess they're I guess they're like just taking a microphone around and going to these different real locations is what it sounds like um, so if they're in a factory it sounds like they're in a factory if they're in a car it sounds like they're in a car and I would say that as opposed to it being more engrossing that's actually been more distracting for me uh, especially because the audio is is not all the way on point as far as that's concerned and can get in the way of the dialogue which is obviously the focal point so that is another one of my biggest issues um, and unfortunately it's kind of a fundamental part of the show the way they've chosen to do it I, I get that it was a stylistic choice but I think they went the wrong way on that one so um, unfortunately that's that's a thing but uh, the main story of it is a mystery like I said about uh, these murders and I think it's become quite clear at this point uh, about halfway through the series that it's probably not Logan that's doing this which you get because he's really not like just a shithead killer unless you know they decided to do him that way in some alter alternate universe thing yeah 
So we'll see how it turns out, but um, I would say it's solid at this point. Um, it is good. Uh, good enough, obviously, to the point where I'm, I'm willing to listen to at least the first 10 episodes for the first season. But, um, you know, it's a cool little thing that Marvel's doing, and there are certain parts of it that shine for sure. With it being their first one, I can kind of forgive a little bit of the uh, hiccups, maybe. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that goes. And then, um, what else? So I mentioned just before, uh, the show to Jared that I had reread, uh, both miniseries House of X and Powers of X or Powers of 10, um, for the, uh, pre-Dawn of X, uh, comics that they're doing for the X-Men. And I think I've talked about it plenty on the show before, but... Uh, reading the miniseries individually as opposed to woven together throughout uh, release order. Um, I think that was really interesting and um, just both really cool series in their own right. And I'm really hoping that uh, they bridge into an awesome uh, new line of X-Men books because it feels like the end of something because it was so epic and it was so great. Um, you know, watching videos about it on the internet or whatever, it feels like, oh man, wasn't it so great that we had this awesome X-Men thing? And the reality of it is the world that, um, the world that they're building here is, is just beginning. So, um, just real quick, I would say about House of X there, shout out Jared, you're talking about, um, kind of like the Latino YouTuber scene, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. And how there's uh, maybe not quite as many faces as you'd like to see there. Um, it looks to me like all of the art in the book, whether it be the pencils or the ink or the coloring, uh, is based on the first and last names. They seem like all uh, Latino people. So I would say shout out to that because they fucking rock this shit out of the park. Um, I would say that... Uh, House of X issues one through six are the best colored uh, comic book issues that I have ever read, and um, at this point I can I feel like I can finally say that I've read enough to to claim that. So House of X is the art itself is is truly incredible, um, but I would say that uh, the coloring itself which is so vital to a comic book and does not get nearly the love or attention that it deserves. Uh, similar in, in, in the same way to uh, you know game developers in the video game industry. Um, colorers, um, colorists, whatever, um, are really vital to the process and you can totally see that when you read House of X and Powers of X for sure, but House of X is, like I said, I think the best that I've ever seen. Um, and just the way that it ties into the book itself but also really um has its own style and flavor that's completely unique and amazing um so big shout out to that uh both of those series and like i said can't wait to see what's next for the x-men and then finally um i guess this can kind of be a joint operation here uh jared have you seen joker yet uh no i'm planning to see it this weekend hopefully i didn't have a chance okay so it's got to be spoiler free obviously but, uh, Dom, you've obviously seen Joker, and I think we both really enjoyed it, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
yeah, Joker to me is I I really loved it. I think that um, its flaws to me are certainly obvious. I think it has uh, basically um, some assumptions and some jumps as far as the plot goes, and some leaps in logic that are clear to me but I think it ties into the movie in a sense that it really is an absurdist piece for me to where there are things happening uh, the reason since you're seeing this movie I should say through Joker's perspective the reasoning behind or the I guess um, the perspective behind the things that you're seeing uh, the events that you're seeing I should say um, I think that it's very uh, colored, like I said, to his perspective, and therefore it is uh, does have an absurdist tint to it. So um, I get the leaps of logic because you're looking at situations with like literal super rats that are the size of house cats, and um, you're looking at piles of trash throughout Gotham, Gotham City in this kind of uh, late '70s era looking Gotham. These piles of trash are gigantic to the point where it's uh, beyond belief um, for a normal, realistic situation. So, uh, with that being said, um, the other issue I have with it, I would say, is that it um, is predictable in the um, way that it goes about showing you basically Arthur's downfall and you know the um, kind of the oh poor me boohoo things that happen to him that you might expect right um, I won't ask you I won't quiz you again Jared but I'm sure if we sat here and you listed some things out that you expected to happen to him you would probably be right about <laughs> most of them right yeah um, so there's that um, but those I would say are my two biggest issues with the movie and the thing about that both of those issues, specifically the leaps in logic, is I think that every single movie that I have ever watched suffers to some extent from those same issues. Like I said, specifically the leaps in logic. I think that this can also tie into the political conversation around the the movie because um, uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that the leaps in logic that you're seeing here are occurring in a fictional film that you're watching, right? So this is not reality. This is not even a documentary just documenting reality as closely as possible. This is a fictional universe, and that's how any fictional movie is, right? Obviously. So with that being said, I think this happens every single time, no matter what even masterpiece film you may be looking at. So, um, the acting, I think, is still superb. The music, I think, is still superb. The dialogue may not be totally there, but I think, um, for the most part, it really is. Obviously, there's parts that uh, tie into those leaps in logic, like I said, or the absurdist uh, stint, uh, tint, excuse me. So, there's that, but... Um, yeah, like Joaquin Phoenix, I think, nails it. He sets himself apart as Joker, which is an extremely difficult thing to do, coming off of the last two performances in live action, which are Heath Ledger, the 
probably the best, certainly before Joaquin, the best live-action Joker ever. And then this weird, random, fucking wannabe gangsta Jared Leto, right? So he's got the best live-action to live up to, and then he's also got maybe the worst, or at least the the fucking wackest to stay away oh, from. I would that. say the you worst. Can't go near that. I didn't hate Jared Leto's Joker, but he is by far the worst. Like he's worse than Cesar Romero. He's worse than Nicholson. He's worse than obviously <laughs> Heath Ledger. So you, you wouldn't know. say the worst, but he's definitely the worst. No, no, no. I'm saying I, I like. I didn't hate his performance as Joker, but I, I didn't hate it either. Easily the worst is what yeah, I'm saying. I'm with, I think, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. He is easily the worst. I didn't hate it, but it was whack. That's why yeah, the yeah. word whack I'm saying is like it's not garbage i don't hate it but i felt uninspired it's, it's not it bro like you didn't nail it you know what i mean yeah jared leto this was uh, plenty of performances it was funny because i i originally liked jared leto's uh job or whatever but then having recently rewatched the dark knight for the first time since suicide squad and then not having seen joker i was reminded like oh okay yeah Jared Leto, it isn't even close to these guys. <laughs> like, it's well, just it's not even. Though, too, it's not like, totally his right. fault. <laughs> well, and the other problem is Suicide Squad is a mediocre to good movie, and right. he, <laughs> the Joker is hardly in it yeah. either, too, comparatively, right? It's not. So, yeah. It's, he was up against it. It's well, that's a tough thing, too, is if it was a better movie, would he, would, have stand, would he have standed out worse? Like, would he have been worse? Or if it was even right. worse than it was, would he have been the shining spot of it? You know what I mean? Alongside Will Smith and... Um, it would have had to have been when a different at, movie. Yeah. For, yeah, exactly. When you look at movies like that with talent like that, just as you see in the Star Wars prequels, for example, it's obvious that it's not the actor's fault, right? Because you see them walk into situations with quality writers and quality directors and quality crews, and they get the job done, like Jared Leto has in so many ways, Margot Robbie and Wolf of Wall Street, um obviously will smith and the list goes on with even just suicide squad much less you know ben affleck and the guys in the speaking Justice of League and batman movies speaking or, uh, of uh, batman specifically robert pants and if people point at twilight they'll be like oh gross he's like a cringy actor but if you go and watch right. all of the other films aren't patents and has been in since then he's a phenomenal actor you know what i mean there's a lot of actors like that that get you know pigeonholed or or uh, have a certain image about them, right? And then you see them in something else, and you're like, whoa, Channing Tatum. I thought you were just doing, like, Nicholas Sparks novel adaptations and shit like that, you know, Dear John or whatever, so. Yeah, I'm with you. Channing Tatum's great. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, uh, back to Joker, I guess, real quick. And uh, I'll let Dom take over here. Um, I would just say that the, like I said, with the um, the logic leaps and all that, that can tie into the larger political conversation, um, which is that I think there's been a lot of hyperbole, um, as there often is in the media and on the internet, uh, when it comes to discussions about um, the violence in this film the portrayals in this film and i guess most specifically uh the message of this film or the purpose um of this movie because um i would say that the general consensus is that it's almost this um like uh, 
incel manifesto, right? Like it's a it's a manifesto for uh, sorry, lonely white males, right? Um, trolls on the internet, um, the alt right, whatever see, you want to call it. That whole narrative, like I cannot. After having seen the movie now, like I cannot disagree with that more. Like it's so I don't know. It's it's not that like in the slightest for me at least. No, I think that my main point on that Dom would be this. It's hard to it's yeah. hard to talk about this without spoiling it. But yeah. Sure, sure. I think that's true, but um, I will say, when we're looking at film, like I was saying, when you're talking about the absurdism of a film, when you're talking about the fact that it's a fictional piece of um, of film that is not meant to represent reality, when you're looking at the fact that it's the story of a villain, it's not. I don't think in any way does this movie glorify or does it um, look at Joker as a hero when we're looking at fiction I think we need to realize the difference between glorification or worship or even condonement you know promoting something versus depiction because for example if you're making a, a movie about World War II and you have Nazis in the movie, it doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with or that you promote the ideals of Nazism. It means that you're making a movie that involves Nazis. And so instead of uh, washing over history, which is a much more dangerous thing to do, you are depicting this sometimes horrible or awful event or group, whatever it may be, right? And I think that that's what this movie does. Don't you think though that film would have a harder time existing during, at uh you know Adolf Hitler's rise to power and and you know Nazis being in the forefront? Like, don't you think that's a harder sell given the timing? You know what I mean? So when I'm when, You're talking when about film, current day 2019. So yeah, what I'm saying, like for me, obviously I haven't seen the film yet, so I don't really have any opinions on it, and I disagree with the hyperbolic arguments that you mentioned that people are having right I'm, I'm with you guys even not having seen the film but i do True. think there is a conversation about the timing of this type of movie i've never been against this movie existing obviously i'm for art and i think art should also make you feel uncomfortable and that's you know part of it i think the 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 argument to be made is the timing of it now not an argument of should this movie have not come out now it's like what does this mean when it's reflecting what's currently going on with society you know so Right, so I would be down with that if, like I said, it were glorifying or uh, proselytizing that message, right? If it were yeah. saying, hey, get out there and shoot up a fucking movie theater, then I would be like, obviously the timing's wrong. Obviously you shouldn't ever be you know, down with this, right? Like, And I want to go back to the World War II thing. I'm not talking about a movie about Hitler's rise to power, right? Um, because that's an even more villainous character that was a realistic uh or in real life and that is once again closer to to factual than fiction right yeah it's at least historical um what i was talking about is a movie like saving private ryan a movie like uh schindler's list right schindler's list is about the the plight of the jews in that situation and so they're the heroes I'm not saying a movie about Hitler's fall, um, comparing him to Joker. That's not what I was saying. I'm saying 
if it had, if you had, if you have the uh, Band of Brothers on HBO and it's about American soldiers fighting in World War Two, great series. But you're depicting Nazis. You have the <clears throat> red armbands and stuff like that. Just because you include that in the movie does not necessarily mean that you agree with it, right? And yeah. I think that that is tantamount to the the conversation with Joker because to me it's not glorifying these things. It's not saying that you should go out and do this. It's to me the message of the movie is when we look at people with mental health issues, people that have maybe slipped through the cracks or that are dealing with insanity situations, with losing their mind type of situations, then we really need to look closely at the way that we handle that and not just push them to the corner because not that it's the right way, right? Not that it's the the good thing that he did to become the Joker and kill people or whatever. Obviously, no spoilers there. Um, you get what the Joker is. Um, not that it's a good thing. But he hey, kills people. But hey, if we if we let people slip through the cracks, if we <clears throat> disregard those that are dealing with insanity or mental health issues like depression, anxiety, whatever, if we allow that to happen and just keep pushing them in the corner, then look, this is what could result. And if anything, it's saying... We don't want this to happen. Let's not treat people the way that he gets treated throughout this film and and kind of just thrown by the wayside. Let's not do that because this is one of this is why people shoot up theaters, right? This is the bad things that happen that cause people to do bad things. Is he justified in doing it? Not in the slightest, and I don't think that the film says that. But depicting difficult things to talk about difficult things to see even during difficult times is one of the most important things that you can do in my opinion because otherwise once again just like joker or uh, arthur or whoever you want to call him things get pushed under the rug things get pushed to the wayside because we don't want to talk about them or they're uncomfortable and that's when situations blow up that's when you get a joker maybe and so I think that's yeah. the message. I would add, like, without spoiling it, I hope, Jared. Yeah. I would throw in, like, a lot of the the loop or the the gaps in logic that I've heard a lot of complaints about, I think, um, to me, I, I never thought of until, you know, afterwards and hearing about it, like, but a lot of it to me is explained pretty, because they're very blatant and, you know, intentional about when the movie is set, the time period. And a lot of those types, those things did happen that... Right. Uh, it's hard to say without saying it of course but a lot of like there have been you know trash strikes where there have been piles of trash you know stacked up in cities and certain other things that i can't spoil have happened to that extent and scale in cities and even lately even in the past like 10 and 20 years there have been events that uh, i've heard complained were unrealistic and that nonetheless uh I would just say, like, go the watch the French Connection if you don't think that much that trash has been but. in New York City. Like, New York City in the seventies was a shit pile, dude. And there's an argument it still is. <laughs> Those streets yeah. are disgusting. This is to but a anyway, different extent, um, though. This is oh, to an yeah, extent where yeah. you can't imagine living there. You know, I would say like, the how could a human being even exist in that place? Before before I saw this, uh, we, me and Jared kind of speculated like this was going to be. An entirely different movie with a with a Joker label slapped on it, right? Um, yeah. And without saying too much, I'll say at least Jared that he's very much the Joker. Um, 
and uh, I appreciate the way that they like, wove Thomas Wayne and the Batman mythology in for the most part. I would say. Yeah, and like the character himself is very much like you. You obviously are finding more out about the Joker than you normally would, but he's still very much that character like that you know. So I would just say that. So that was kind of like okay, cool. So he's still they they do some other things, but he's still at his core like this is still the Joker, and that's never lost. So, but yeah, I, I was I super I was really into this movie. It really made me feel uncomfortable pretty much throughout the whole thing, which I was yeah. just like I was just thriving on it. I was like oh. You never quite yeah, exactly. know exactly what's going Edge of your happen. seat kind of way, in a good way. Yeah. I was like, just absorbed, like, uh. It reminded me a lot of, one of my favorite movies is Shutter Island. And it kind of reminded me a lot of that, where like, it all, the cinematography and the music and everything kind of played in. And the weird vibe throughout of like, anxiety and like, I don't quite know what he's going to do or what's going to happen. Or, yep, yep. It was just uncomfortable and I fucking love that. Um, I could definitely see why some people wouldn't like that. But I was into it and I don't know, I just... It was a great movie, so I was, I would re- recommend it to most people. And certainly, I, there were some kids that came in at my theater, and I was like, "Dude, no, no man, no, no, no. that yeah, ain't the bad it, thing, right?" The bad thing, but I will movie... say, it's not like there's movies. There's probably twenty five major, or not twenty five. There's probably five to ten big movies that came out this year that are way more violent than Joker, way more violent. So the whole violence thing is way played up especially like when you look at it being in the 70s and all that it's like it's not it's certainly graphic in moments but it's just like dude there's stuff on tv you know not even hbo that is you know certainly yeah and and maybe it'll prompt something where like theaters need to start you know making it more obvious that a movie is rated r because it is rated r but like well it's a joker movie so parents might not have you know thought about it and so they bring their kids it's gonna be a good old time yeah maybe like theaters need to start like making it a bigger r logo or something or like or parents saying can just be more responsible their... i mean well, i mean that's the that's my <laughs> real answer yeah. but i don't know it, at least would it, i don't i don't mind prompting the conversation of like should theaters do more and movie trailers do more to make that obvious kind of like we do with we've talked about with games and loot boxes like should games be more obvious about the loot boxes and things they have it's worth having the conversation, I guess. But yeah, ultimately, it's like yeah, yeah, just if I'm a parent, I would be like on shit and knowing exactly what my, I would like to think I, I would be also on shit this. I know it's this probably film tough, but this film didn't do itself any favors when this whole conversation was starting and the director of the film went and put his foot in his mouth. I don't know if you guys saw his comments of they asked Todd Phillips, "Hey, do you think you're gonna you know go back to directing comedies?" And he had this whole spiel about, "Well, you can't direct comedies in 2019 because everybody's overly sensitive and." It was just like a really out of touch comment that I think people who are already having the PC conversation of the Joker were able to have more to latch onto in that whole conversation. So he kind of put his foot in his mouth, you know. So yeah, it was it was sure, like that the, that Henry Cavill where he's wrong, like, like, I feel like a lot of punch has been taken out of comedy. I think you just got to listen to stand up comics and they'll tell you that much at this point, you know. Yeah, but then there comes a yeah. Pattern. You can still do it. It's just you might get more people are going to talk about it and maybe criticize you for it, but there's no one stopping anyone. I mean, this I, is still America. I think it was a cop-out crybaby answer, but he no, wasn't super I, Like I said, the sentiment, not the, not the words that he spoke, but the yeah. sentiment of what he's trying to put across. I will also add, his Hangover trilogy is not even like, oh, na- it, doesn't, it doesn't hold up nowadays as far as like being um, kind of just like rude to people and mean-spirited you know using like retard and fag those kind of words right i think 
even there when it came out what is it like you know late aught aughts early 2010s uh, is the trilogy I guess and it's to me I was like even then it was there were certainly funny movies at least I think I only saw the first but it's like those were like shithead jokes even back then I guess is what I'm trying to say so yeah uh, as far as that stuff goes he may not be the, the best authority to look toward Dom did you play anything? No, not not I, okay. I played Prey for like two hours, but okay. anything. Not much to say on it. Uh, yet, okay, so. uh, let me get through uh, what I've been playing real quick, and then I'll hop into the news because we're going kind of kind of long already. So I won't be too long. Don't have much to say, anyways. So I played about five five-ish hours of Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Cool. Uh, what I'll say is that it is. We are we're all familiar with the generalization of what an open world Ubisoft game is, right? The pluses and minuses that come with that, right? When somebody's like, oh, a Ubisoft open world game, it doesn't have a deep narrative, it, it's all about collecting towers, and yada, 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 it doesn't have heart, it's just a Filling culmination of yeah, a culmination of different mechanics that across all of their games, yada, yada, yada. Ghost Recon Breakpoint is that in the best and worst of ways. Uh, yeah. What I will say is I bought this game with the excitement of interacting with John Bernthal, and I've seen a cutscene with him without his face. Uh, that's all I've seen so far is one cutscene, and you don't even really get a good look at him. It's, it's Agent Cole Would you Walker. say that it was your dream to see him appear at E3? God, <laughs> uh, I've actually been uh, deciding whether or not I want to... Uh, reach out to Microsoft for a refund on this game, and it's Whoa, not because, dude. and it's not because I don't hate it. It's just, it's popcorn gaming, and that's not what I wanted out of it. Now, if I went into this game expecting popcorn game, and I got that, I'd be like, okay, it's fine. But I was expecting wow. them to kind of evolve on what Wildlands was, and this uh, is essentially okay. just Wildlands 2.0. You know what I mean? See, like. I think I would have just been cool because, like, that's exactly what I was expecting. Which is probably maybe why I swerved at the last minute and didn't buy it for oh, sixty bucks. I'll tell you what you won't be cool with: uh, the amount of bugs in this uh, game. And I'm not somebody who usually ey. complains about bugs. There's so times where in Wildlands, you would there's say. times in this game where you load in and you don't have any of your guns on you, so you're just shooting invisible things you're holding. Uh, oh God. So. <laughs> There's these little like encampments with enemies that when you take him out, you get you can go up and get these information blocks, and the cool thing with them is that you can either uh, learn about a weapon's location, uh, learn about crafting materials, or like a certain like building location. You you have options. Not all of them do. Some of them will have a single thing, but these information hubs are used to gather data for the map, right? Like points you can okay. mark on the map and go explore. Uh, there's a glitch currently in the game where if there's an ammo crate next to that, your character will just infinitely keep grabbing ammunition so you never get the prompt of X to actually pick up the data thing to get the thing. So you kind of lose out on that. Uh, and it's like your, your guy Sounds is... Sounds like pretty damn glitchy to me. It's pretty bad, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll never say that the cutscenes in like Assassin's Creed Odyssey are like naughty dog level right but in odyssey yeah. i think they're 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 serviceable i don't think they're terrible right yeah these ones are like bad like the lip sync Ooh. isn't great the the, the mocap isn't great it's just not <laughs> overall not 
really well done. To me, this is... We talk about all of the games that are coming out uh, at the beginning of next year. Like, everyone's trying to rush to get their big franchise out before next gen, right? And we're assuming a lot of those games are going to be great, right? And we hope they're great. This seems like the example of rushing to get a game out before next gen, but just doing it to do it. You know what I mean? Like, let's just slap all this stuff together. What have we done good the last decade? Let's all slap it into this game. No innovation, no new things, nothing creative or interesting, and just ship it out to, like, get the most out of this install base before or next year. Or am I glad I didn't buy this game? Yeah, which is unfortunate because Ubisoft has been in a role, right? They're, they've been one of the best publishers this this gen, I would say, in terms of I feel changing... Like Wildlands was a big part of that. Exactly, yeah. Um... I just, it's a very uninspired meh game. Uh, wow. And the thing is, is, like I said, if I was going in, like, I want a podcast game or a game where I just mess around and explore the map and have a good time, I'd be f- perfectly fine with it. I think it's a solid game. I don't think it's, like, it's not terrible by any means. It's just... Even with all those glitches and the bad lip sync and all that? Well, yeah, because like the like I said, the narrative isn't really important in it. Because like going in, I was like, oh, I'm gonna it's gonna be this really cool tale with John Bernthal, but that hasn't really been yeah, focused on. Hero. So once you hear about, once you like experience all of that, then you kind of lose interest in the the, the mocap and all that to begin with. So it's like not even as important there either. You know what I mean? Once you realize what exactly is happening, uh, this game too is like, hey, go play multiplayer. Hey, why don't you go play multiplayer? Hey. Why don't you invite Listen, somebody to play shit. multiplayer? Yeah. yeah, like it. You can still play it single player. And it's fine. It doesn't take away from the from the experience. But you can tell they're like, hey, grab somebody to play this game with. Hey, we notice you're still playing alone. Why don't you grab somebody to join in this game? Uh, hey, did man, you tell your friend to buy? That's the game worse yet? too. Yeah, that's worse too. When like you don't have the friends to play with, and you're kind of like wishing you did. Oh, like, it's like thanks. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks you know? for reminding me. Yeah. Um, Poor guy. I would say going through my the codex and my brain of all of the games I've played this year, it is. I wouldn't say Kingdom Hearts Three was a disappointment. It's just like for better or worse, it was what I expected it to be. Uh, this is like the first disappointment of the year for me. Like major disappointment. This thing was more disappointing to me than Mass Effect Andromeda, to be honest. <coughs> but have you played Kingdom Hearts before? Kingdom Hearts 3? Yeah, I played the first two. I didn't play any of the, like, the side games, but I played 1 and 2. Okay. So your yeah. stakes were still like... Uh, I'm just saying, you don't love Kingdom Hearts. Oh, no. And I'm, I'm not obviously saying that as a derogatory thing. It's just like, that's just not a series that you love. So it's like... This I know you loved Wildlands, so your expectations would be different. You know? And I love John Bernthal, so it's like, ugh, yeah. All-time favorite hero. All-time favorite hero. Uh, yeah, so I may end up getting a refund on it, and I may actually end up spinning that 60 bucks into 40 bucks for Ukulele and the Impossible Lair, which is the new 2D platformer from the studio that made Ukulele. Uh, because reading uh. the reviews on that, it's getting great reviews. And... Uh, now- when PlayStation or Xbox refunds a game, do they, like, take it off of your account? Oh, uh, yeah. They take it off your account and they just give you your money back. From my experience on Xbox. I don't know how it works on PlayStation. Gotcha. I didn't even know they did that at all. At yeah, I, PlayStation. I, I, I refunded about a game it, a while ago. What was the last ago. game? Maybe uh, No Man's Sky they were given refunds? 
because I remember like it was a big announcement or whatever when Steam started doing it, where like you have seven days or something, and well, the, in less than two hours played. Or I don't know. the crazy Jared, thing you is, get a refund on a PS a PS4 game not too long ago. I might have. I couldn't remember what exactly I got a refund for. Um, but the thing too, the cool thing with Xbox is that it kind of gives you like Walking Dead, Telltale. Yeah. Uh, when ah. you go to when you go to request. Uh, yeah, because I had pre-ordered uh, the last season, and then the whole thing happened I, with the company. Um, Dom, to answer your question, I think they do it in like insinuating circumstances, like Jared's experiencing a lot of glitches or Telltale's like falling apart, so they're going to finish the season that you pre-ordered. And it's a lot easier when it's evident, and there's a lot of evidence to support what you're saying. Like how fucked you know, up it is. right yeah. now, if I if somebody sends in a message you're like I want a refund on Breakpoint because it's broken two clicks and the reports will show that people are experiencing bugs on the game so it's like they have a legitimate argument whereas if I buy Madden and then a week later I want a refund and I've played it a bunch it's harder to get that refund back because there isn't a whole lot of conversation behind it being broken right and I'm just using Madden as an example I could put any game in there but uh yeah it's a first major disappointment I'm looking forward to Outer Worlds I'm probably going to start playing Gears now that uh, I'm not going to really be playing Breakpoint. And like I said, Ukulele and the Impossible Lair is something I'm interested in. Also, Indivisible, which is the 2D platformer that's been in development for a while from the Skull Girls uh, team, the fighting game. So that's pretty much it for that. The last thing I wanted to mention is I finally finished and caught up with My Hero Academia right in time for Whoa, Season 4. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. Season 4 coming up. Uh, this... Two days from the day we're recording. We record on Thursdays. It's coming out Saturday, the 12th. So Yeah, baby. Excited oh, for and that. I was going to say, the reason I was going to ask you is because this is one of the very few shows that I will actually watch weekly because for this show, I think I enjoy it better that way. Yeah. Um, when I have a whole season of My Hero Academia, I'm like, eh, I don't need this big of a dose. So, um, so yeah, what do, you, what do you think? Where are you at? Um... So the, the, the tough thing is, like, I think it's near the top, or uh, it's one or two for me in terms of the, my favorite anime. That being said, I haven't, fully, I haven't fully completed Cowboy Bebop, so I haven't put that in my own ranking until I finish it. I guarantee that'll be right. probably near the top or the top. I love Cowboy Bebop. I, it's amazing. I can't believe I waited so long to watch it. Uh, Dragon Ball, I think, gets the edge uh, over My Hero just because... There's so much of it, and I know people complain that there's so many filler episodes and stuff like that, but as somebody who really enjoys those characters, I like those filler episodes. If I ever go back to watch yeah. a series, I'll probably do a bit of skipping, but sure. there. I mean, I love Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, right? So it's two different yeah, series. With My Hero, I only have three seasons, but yeah, it's I really enjoy it. And Hunter Hunter, I'm I'm only like a season and a half through, and that I really enjoy that too, so... Yeah, but I, I really enjoy it. There's a lot of questions I have, like, who's the traitor that gave up information? Why does one of the big three look like All Might? I have a ton of questions, which is always great with with shows when you have all these, like, theory crafting. You know, it's a big reason why I love yeah. the MCU is I love theory crafting. So, Which, do you have a favorite season now? Um, I would say two. It's three for me. I would say two. So you like the tournament arc? I'm trying to think. Is uh, is, dang, his name's escaping me. The villain who tastes blood. What's his name? Uh, I'm trying. I can't remember his name. 
Something with an yeah, S. Yeah, I'm having a tough time as well. Scar. Scar. Uh, I want to say Scar, but. Uh, MHA. I'm, tr- I'm trying to find the name of him. And then we can move on to the yeah, news. Yeah, so anyways, season three is where they go full on X-Men anime. Yeah. Season two, which I fucking loved. And then season two is like the whole tournament arc. And the reason I don't love tournament arcs too much is because it's... <clears throat> anime where you're in the same stadium environment for what you know six eight ten twelve episodes so that like in dragon ball naruto whatever i guess naruto doesn't have tournaments well they have the uh, even hunter hunter has a tournament arc the guinning tests or whatever tuning exams guinning exams um so yeah there's that's obviously a part of shonen anime that's that's a trope and i would just say it's about the uh, environments that gets old with me because anime is already like reusing backgrounds and different animations all the time, and so when it's all in one stadium for mul- multiple episodes, that usually gets to me, I guess. But uh, Those are... also just them like going full X Men in season three is is my my deal. So, so two things: one, I'm opposite of you. The tournament arcs are often my favorite parts of the shows. Sure, um, but sure. I I, I, I do understand that criticism. Them. Yeah, I, it's a very valid criticism. Uh, Stain is his name, and Stain. Uh, his arc at the end of season two. I think the tournament arc plus his arc, or like you know, oh, his definitely. thing is really good, and then the tournament arc. I really enjoy that. So it's like, yeah. but three is also really good. I would say one's the weakest season, but I also still enjoy it. Uh, I think it's the only one that's like. 12 episodes where the other two are 24 is that right something like that yeah which is funny because normally i would go for the shortest season you know what i mean yeah <laughs> it's supposed yeah. to the big ones but uh let's hop shout into out news to here bones shout, shout out, out to out bones, bones studio. The studio uh that makes that anime we got some quickie news and we got a bunch of playstation 5 stuff because it's officially that now uh named that so first up uh some sad Jared, news. how did we find out about uh the playstation 5 naming uh, we'll get into that. Uh, let's start off with these okay. quickie news, and we'll get into the grand announcement that PlayStation made with all uh, of that okay. information. My bad, my bad. Uh, so, first up, some bad news for Domini. Uh, Doom Eternal was delayed. Uh, it was originally going to be coming out uh, dun, next dun, month, dun. November 22nd. It's now bumped to March 20th, uh, the same day as Animal Crossing. Talk about not competing with one another for audiences. Doom Eternal and Animal Crossing. Uh, though I think I'm going to be one of the only people in that, like one percentage divide that's buying both of them which is pretty funny um yeah know. it's unfortunate but i'd rather have a game get delayed than come out and be ghost recon breakpoint you know so oh uh, slam dunk <laughs> uh it's tough it crowds and already crowded q1 and q2 of 2020 but it is wow, what it is yeah. um next up ubisoft speaking of ubisoft they revealed captain Laserhawk. And if you're like, wow, that's a really interesting title. It's an animated show that's going to be coming out directed uh, by Adi Shankar, who's responsible for the really good Castlevania Netflix oh. series. Uh, and it's going to be based on Blood Dragon, the DLC from Far Cry 3. It's going to be based in that universe. So all wacky and crazy 80s retro okay, action. Okay, okay, okay. This is a big deal right here. Do you know why, Jared? Because you like Blood Dragon and you like Adi Shankar? Well, because I like Adi Shankar, and he had previously announced his follow-up to Castlevania was a collaboration with Ubisoft, but not for my second favorite, or I guess third favorite after Prince of Persia, uh, Ubisoft franchise, Far Cry. 
He was he had announced an Assassin's Creed anime. He might still also be working on that. I think maybe this one will I'm be sure the one he that is, comes out but first. Like, that was a long ass time ago. That was like right after uh, Castlevania got big. He was like, "Yeah, I'm doing Assassin's Creed with Ubisoft." Like, whoa. And Castlevania's release kind of came out of nowhere, so maybe the thing is, is AC's already done, and it's in the cooker, and they're just waiting to announce and release yeah, it, so. and maybe this is his next project. Um, this goes hand-in-hand hand with the previously announced Rayman animated uh, show that they're going to be doing, um, which I like those characters and those personalities, so I'm, I'm interested to see how that show turns out as well. Um, next up, we have WB Interactive Entertainment announcing a partnership mm. with IO Interactive uh, for the development of a new game. If you're unfamiliar, IO is the studio responsible for Hitman. Uh, they've released two kind of spiritual reboots in the Hitman franchise. Um, both reviewed they fairly with well. WE before? Uh, yeah, but then they splintered off to be independent, but they still partnered with him for publishing. So instead of being owned by them, they're now like their own thing. Um, well, but they were Square Enix. Yeah, yeah, so they were with Square Enix, then they left Square Enix, and then they partnered with WB to publish Hitman 2, but that was only a one-game deal. We go. So then they now there they're partnering go. again. And the interesting there thing with this is, at first, people are wondering, well, is, why make this so like such a weird announcement to say they partnered to make Hitman 3? Well, it turns out, back in July, in an interview, uh, IO Interactive announced, because they now have two studios, that one of their studios is working on the next Hitman, and one of them is working on a new IP. So people assume that because of the way this was announced, and they didn't just lay, like slap Hitman Three on it, that this the partnership could be specifically for uh, that new IP, which would be cool. It, it'd be Dude, interesting you to be see. Hyped over here that it was like one of them was working on a Hitman game, and one <laughs> of them was working on a new IP. <laughs> a just new got IP. Me hyped. Yeah. So I I mean we can all assume that their new IP will probably be on next gen, right? Because if this partnership was barely announced, I doubt it comes out anytime soon with also one studio working on the next Hitman game. So we'll see what happens there. Interested to see if they if it's stealth-based or if it's something entirely new for the studio and they want to do something yeah. to reinvigorate their creative juices. You know, I so. think that from watching their no-clip documentary, that studio seems very talented. And like the, that studio seems like they've had to deal with bullshit with Square Enix and all that, you know? And they seem very talented, so I'd really like to see how they are uh, now independent and just kind of like hopping in and out of bed as uh, with Warning Brothers as uh, seemingly um, CD Projekt Red does with their games. So um, it looks like that seems to be a good way to go instead of being wholly owned by EA or whatever, right? Like Respawn, for example. These guys are just going to this gigantic publisher in Warner Brothers that isn't thought of in the same way as Ubisoft EA Activision, uh, but is certainly capable of distributing plenty of products for these uh, perfectly independent studios that get to make the games that they want to fucking make. So that's pretty cool. And also, since it's a new IP, I think WB will be more interested in putting more money behind the marketing, as opposed to like, right. you know, nothing wrong. there's nothing wrong with Hitman, but it's IO's property and it's kind of old by this point it's a known property a known quantity so maybe WB yeah. partnering with them they're like you're making a new IP let's get behind this because then it can go directly associated with WB right and that's a big pull for you them think, you think they own the IP no 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 I'm just saying it it could the new IP 
it could lead that way, right? If it's successful enough, who's to say that WB doesn't partner with them for the follow-up to that game, right? Gotcha. Who knows? Uh, lastly, this is a little bit of news for both of you guys. I was going to say Dom, but I can't forget how much uh, Jordan loves Bloodborne. But it's not good news, Jordan, so pause. pause. So uh, uh-huh. recently there was a, a new interview with Miyazaki uh, over at GameSpot. Uh, let me guess. Let me guess. He goes, Bloodborne 2. Ha, just kidding. Uh, I'll just say what he has to say. So, oh, if you're sorry. unfamiliar with I'm Miyazaki, sorry. he's the From Software <laughs> director who's responsible for Demon Souls and Dark Souls and Bloodborne, and he's <laughs> right now he's riding a high of great releases back to back to back to back. Uh, he clarified because they asked him, so Bloodborne two when, and he basically okay. said, a you know Bloodborne a sequel to Bloodborne isn't my decision to make. So. He's not saying that he doesn't want to Shit do it. Shit we already knew, bro. Yeah. Shit we already knew. But it's good to clarify because this stuff, people are like, you know, what exactly does that mean, yada, yada, yada. Him saying it's not his decision to make means that, like, it's PlayStation, right? Or, yeah, because... I do think that it's his decision not to make. Does that make sense? He can yeah, say yeah. no to a Bloodborne 2 and have let Studio Japan make it by themselves or whatever. Um, so I think him involving himself in the situation to that extent is saying like, we're down, we're just waiting on them, but why would PlayStation be waiting? It's gotta be for next gen, I guess, because here's the thing in the interview too, that's the case situation with that series. What do you say to I mean, yeah, even if we were waiting for next gen, like it'd probably be in progress already, which I mean, this doesn't necessarily deny. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't sound Um, good. Think in the, in... the, the storyline where they had Demon Souls, PlayStation owns the IP of Demon Souls, basically let uh, From Software be the one that got away, right? And they went on to this whole Dark Souls success, and Sony didn't realize what they had, right? So then now they come back and have another IP that Sony owns that they make From Software uh, do a game for. So it's like. Why are you guys not following that up? Did you not learn from the first fucking time? Like, you have this talent. You have this connection with this talent. Fucking get to it, man. And I just feel like they make games so quickly from software. It's like we could have had a Bloodborne 2 in their slot of games where they could do... They do essentially annualize their Souls uh, style for the most part. And so it's like, get on with it, man. Have Bloodborne 3 for PS5. It's crazy we might get Sekiro 2 before Bloodborne 2 because, you know, Activision is going to hop on that real quick. Um, The other thing in this interview, and that leads credence to what you said about it not being him not wanting to make it, is that uh, he said that Bloodborne is his favorite game he's ever worked on. Whoa. Uh, And And he definitely wants to make a sequel, right? And to the point he also talked about what he didn't like about the development of that game, meaning that... There's that itch with creators, right? If you there's something you think you could have done better, you want to get another shot at it to make it right. Because he talked about the Chalice Dungeons not exactly being as good as he thought they could have made them and a couple of other aspects of Bloodborne. Yeah. So he also yeah. has things written down of like, these are the things I want to improve on if we ever get that chance. I do think he's being honest when he yeah. says it's not my decision. I think maybe they're waiting like, yo, PlayStation, you want us to make this or not? But they're not stalling for that because like you said... They have Sekiro, they have Elden Ring, and you know Activision is going to get to them. If it was a success, if Sekiro sold, and we've seen the numbers, it sold really well. Yeah. But in, did it sell well enough for Activision because they like big boy numbers? <laughs> yeah. 
they'll get back to them immediately. Right? So interesting. We, we always got to throw Miyazaki in there when we get the chance. So let's get to all I will this information. Say, chalice dungeons, rough around the edges. Yeah. yeah, and it's cool that he's able to admit that too. You know what I mean? He's not too proud because I'm not nothing against Kojima, but you, for me, I never really hear about the stuff Kojima could have done better from him. You know what I mean? I never really yeah. hear that kind of talk from Kojima. Um, but you I don't know, think people that's are different. His focus. Yeah, know? exactly. I think, he, I think he goes off so far in a, in a totally different direction for every game he makes, even if it's in the Metal Gear series, uh, that he's unfortunately maybe not looking at what he could have done better the last time. Whereas with Miyazaki, he's very much focused on specific you know, hit boxes and stuff like that. So you know that he, and he, he pays attention to even the smallest things. So it's just a different creative process. Yeah. Uh, so we got a bunch of PlayStation stuff to get through. So chime in when you want to, but we got quite a bit of stuff. So first up, uh, in a PlayStation.com blog post, Sony revealed that their next generation console will in fact be called the PlayStation five. I know. Sorry. Could you go ahead and just start from the top one more time for me, Jared in a PlayStation blog post. Sorry, could you start from the top one more time for me here? <laughs> a play station online internet article published on their own <laughs> blog. A PlayStation online internet article. Are you kidding me? In a blog post, motherfuckers. A blog post. Get the uh, fuck out of here. Where's PSX? Fuck this shit. Go ahead. Uh, there's actually some interesting stuff I want to get into later, specifically about PSX. So it's going to be... A good topic to talk about. They also announced this that it's going to be launching during holiday 2020. I know, shocker, never saw that coming. Um, <laughs> so alongside this blog post, they did an exclusive interview with Wired.com. And if you're wondering, hey, Jared, Wired.com, why does that sound familiar? What's the same oh uh, website that PlayStation did the initial tease of the PlayStation 5 or their next generation? It was like console? a leak. It was like a leak, dude. Yeah. Uh, what, like two weeks before E3 this year? Maybe two or three weeks, something like that. Something like that. Uh, oh, and by the way, when they did all this bullshit last year where they just start canceling events left and right, they were like, yeah, we're not doing E3, and also, we're not going to do anything around E3. We wouldn't be like that, guys. Death Stranding trailer, also announcing PS5 in a fucking Wired article. Jesus. Well, the, yeah, remember, the their next generation article. We didn't know it was PS5, though everyone knew, uh, until well, yeah. this week. We've been calling it PS5. For years now, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they discussed some unknown features for the PS5 and their vision for next gen. Here are some of the new things they revealed via the exclusive Wired.com interview. So I'm going to go over one, and I'm going to position it at one of you two, and we'll go back and forth, right? So we can all get in the sure. conversation. So I'll start with you, <laughs> Jordan, because I know you're particular with controllers. So the PS5 yes. controller, uh, yes. they didn't say it was DualShock 5, by the way. Still, the no DualShock name for DualShock 5 is what we're calling it until we're told otherwise, Jared. <laughs> Uh, it'll feature haptic feedback, and it'll also have adaptive triggers, which will both offer a bigger range of feel variety, that's for the haptic feedback, and trigger resistance, that's for the adaptive triggers. So, Jared, um, what does that remind you of, controller-wise? Uh, I mean, Your beloved Xbox One, they're just catching yeah. up to Microsoft. Yeah. The thing that sucks is that the... Uh, the adaptive triggers aren't used for a whole lot, so I really hope in next-gen developers uh, use them for a lot more. Because right now they're pretty much only used in like racing games. So. Yeah, dude, and I love like 
hearing about that shit in Forza, I don't even think I've, like, well, I guess I've played Horizon a little bit, but yeah. They do some really cool stuff on the Microsoft side. Even though, like, we talk about them not being, like, known for hardware, I think they've really tried to change that in the last several years with Xbox. Phil Spencer has, at least. After they redesigned that v- uh, VCR. Uh, the last yeah. bit of uh, the last bit about the controller is that it will now have USB Type-C and a larger capacity battery in it, which uh, will slightly make it heavier than the DualShock 4. So... I wouldn't complain too much about that because I'd say it's a little bit light in the coffers. I think the Pro Controller for the Switch is a little bit heftier. They said, uh, the people who got hands-on said it's around the same weight, maybe a little less than an Xbox One controller. So. Yeah. Which I'd be down for because I think the Xbox One I mean, the DualShock 4 is not going to break on anyone unless they're just like chucking it at the wall but it it's still fu- feels like the lightest of the three i would say it's so funny that xbox has gone from the duke and slimmed it down really nicely and the dual shock yeah. has gone from like a flimsy controller and kind of beefed it up a little bit at a time you know what i mean so they're kind of meeting However, in the middle as a big beefy hand type of bear man i must say the smalling <laughs> the uh decrease in size from Xbox 360 to Xbox One was disappointing because the controller itself is perfect except they just made it a little bit smaller. So if they had just made the same contour, the same edges and lines, but in the same size as the 360 controller, I think that Xbox One could be the best controller of all time. But it's just a little too small because it's like kind of like wraps around. It almost reminds me of the Boomerang uh, controller from the PS3 originally. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just a little, little bit of a claw hand situation, I guess. So Dom, I'm gonna hit you with some information about the, the discs, the discs for the PS5 and the drive. So, we got the information that the PS5 discs will be 100 gigabyte optical discs, and uh, they'll have built-in, uh, the the machine will have a built-in 4K Blu-ray drive. About time, right? That was yeah, one of the big things yeah. with uh, it, the Xbox One S over the PlayStation 4, right? Is that it had that built-in 4K Blu-ray. So, good yeah, news there. I'm excited because um, that was, uh, I mean, that's 90% of my Xbox One S usage is the 4K, is for 4K movies. Um, that was a huge, you know, feature reason I got that thing. So, yeah, I'm pretty I pumped that. a lot of people, actually. PS5. Yeah, I mean, it was, it's still probably the, at least, or at least comparably the, you know a cheaper 4k blu-ray player and it, it feels silly to buy a dedicated 4k blu-ray player at this point so you might as well get an all-in-one yeah that plays games too um, isn't it weird how sony turned around from put jamming so much into the ps3 at launch that it was this ahead of its time powerhouse with built-in bluetooth and wi-fi that made it cost six to seven hundred dollars and then they flip all the way around to where the pro version the 4k beefed up version of the ps4 doesn't even have a blu-ray player in it that can run 4k yeah that's a whole overcorrection. it's like oh no it's actually Uh, it's pretty interesting though like that whole thing because i remember they had mentioned when they first announced ps4 pro like yeah we don't really see uh you know blu-rays in general and discs are declining right there's yeah. less Blu-ray movie sales. We're not anticipating there's going to be a lot of 4K Blu-ray movie sales. So we didn't, you know, 
we didn't want to add the investment and make it cost more yada yada but then you look at this you could say they're reversing that but that was that also you know driven by the fact that well they still have games on discs and games need more than 50 gigabytes or whatever is on a a regular blu-ray so they needed the 4k blu-ray just have more space but then how much is it also their estimations about 4k blu-ray movies being used were just wrong and those are doing better than they expected i don't know it's just interesting uh the next bit of information has to do with configurable installation jordan so they say that the they say that the ps5 will have configurable installation which they're touting that it'll have the ability to download uh i'll give you an example say red dead on uh, red dead redemption 2 comes out on the ps5 you have the opportunity to either download the single player experience or the multiplayer experience or what you could do, according to them, is you can have it's the game deep. download and you finish the Red Dead story mode. I'm never going to go back to it. You can delete the story mode specifically off of your hard drive, but keep the multiplayer if you want to go back gotcha. and hop in. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be like a uh, kind of a sectioned off installation where you can keep what you like and you know get rid of what you don't. And I could see, you know kind of publishers taking advantage of that like they did with uh, when Call of Duty didn't have a single player campaign like a year ago Um, I could see something like that happening where it's like you could almost see how there's like deluxe edition gold edition or whatever nowadays there's uh, in the next gen there's going to be like single player pack or multiplayer pack you know the bundle whatever so the one, the one, I wouldn't say worry, but the caution with this is I think this might be one of those features that uh, developers don't really use at launch, but maybe midway through the gen cycle, they get used to and get familiar with, and then it really hits its stride. You know what I mean? I don't think this is a feature that's going to be popping at launch. I don't think developers are going to focus on making their games adaptable to this specifically, you know? Now that, I'm really glad you brought that up, Jared, because... <laughs> There are things from the PS5's or PS4's uh, launch event that we still don't have on the PS4. Uh, you know, stuff that's supposed to features that are supposed to be built in essentially. And so, um, I'm going to be careful personally about how excited I get about some of these features we're talking about because unless it's built in 4K Blu-ray player, then it could be a little bit more nebulous than we might want to believe. Exactly, and it also depends on think... how much developers use them, right? <laughs> it oh, depends yeah. on, yeah. Absolutely. So I, I think this is important, though. Um, could be cool and convenient um, to, yeah, to only need, you know, only have parts that you want, I guess. But more importantly is, um, and I can't remember who I heard say this first. It's not my discovery, but we can assume that at most we're going to get uh, one terabyte of storage on PS5 because it's an SSD, and those are obviously expensive. So Can I'm anticipating. They've not said this size, but we know it's an yeah, SSD. We, we've yeah, we've all just assumed it's like the, in today's age in 2019, you can't. It's not feasible to release, especially with the size okay, of well, games. Okay, well, hold on. Hold on. PS4 Slim has one terabyte, so we can we don't need to really assume. That is, they're not going to downgrade from the PS4 base model at this point. I guess, yeah, maybe the conversation is about what the base model is, right? Is it going to be 500 gigs and then they have the terabyte for a little bit more expensive? Are they going to continue well, with the way they did that's what I'm saying is your current, they're not going to go from the base PS4, which is the slim at this point. They're not still selling 
the OG PS4. Their base model PS4 being a, a one terabyte means that their base model PS5 absolutely will be at least a terabyte. Unless they want to cut price. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't be totally shocked if they had that's a dude, that's a downgrade though from one console to the oh, next that's a, i agree with you i'm not saying it downgrade. isn't i just you know i i would say i'm i would say 95 5 that it's a terabyte for sure nothing lower but you never know yeah, yeah if they did a, a 500 then it would have to be accompanied by a terabyte you know uh, skew also dude it's just, got, oh, it's yeah, got a 4k oh, yeah. blu-ray player this it's just impossible like obviously i don't know I'm only ninety nine percent sure, but it's like there's just no way. There's just I think no that's a conversation. Tom is like, I all just, of us agree that there's no way there's not a one terabyte version of the PS five. It's just yeah. whether or not that's the lowest amount of storage that they're going to ship a PS five with, right? And we're all assuming, yeah, yeah ninety nine percent that there's no way, but yeah. But either way, the the relevance to the you know partial install or whatever is like you can get by with a smaller storage uh, if you only have to install parts of the game, right? So if you know you're not going to play Red Dead Online, then you're not going to install that point. portion, thus saving you space. Yeah. So I think uh, that's the driver We're moving into this. a fully 4K generation is the other point, which is, like, that shit is not small. You know, when you're adding, like, fucking the, the Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor and War games make you install a separate 4K like cutscene and texture pack, and that shit is not a small file. So there, there's an argument to me that, that one the... terabyte isn't even enough, honestly, nowadays. Exactly. So. That's that's uh, that's why I feel like one terabyte is almost is almost ridiculous. Uh, I'm I'm almost just so adamant because I I am trying to like push it out of reality that they could possibly go under one terabyte because it's already ridiculous that we had to deal with that for so long this generation. Uh, yeah, they would have to really sell. Um, faster download speeds and because it's an ssd like it should be able to write to it faster so like ideally you could delete and install stuff faster which would also make up for not having enough space just throw that out there too i just i'm sorry i just said all that shit and forgot that it's an ssd yeah those are a whole other story whole different ball game whole different price point yeah and there's also worries that it might be proprietary making it even uh a tougher thing for people yeah uh, I, think, I don't think they would jump to SSD if they couldn't at least do a terabyte. So. Yeah. Uh, Dom, so I know one thing that you love is when you turn on your console for it to uh, get into your face about what you should play next. So you should be excited that that's going to be part of the UI apparently. So the home screen UI redesign that they talked about in this interview is going to put a focus on providing the player with in-game info. Sorry, to push... Jay, i got to interrupt you one more time. Could you repeat that? Just go back a few seconds. The home screen UI redesign is going to put a focus on providing the player with in-game info. Oh, man, you didn't say it. You didn't say it. The home screen redesign that they talked about in this interview. Oh, yeah. That you're reading via text. <laughs> They're like, hey, let us describe to you the debut of our new visual representation of what you're trying to fucking do on your console. So from you the guys interview, are idiots. So from the interview, it's basically going to your home UI is. They they said that the the home screen for the PlayStation Four is too boring. It doesn't it doesn't activate people into doing things. So what they want to do is for the home screen for the PS Five, there's going to be, um, like information whether it be like panels or however it's designed that it's either going to be 
specific games. I'll use Red Dead, for example. Red Dead telling you, like, Chapter 3, you're almost done with the mission. Hop in now. Or it'll be, like, Apex Legends uh, new update. Hop into a multiplayer match now. So it's basically going to be these messages mm. telling you, like, hey, of these games you've played or you've bought, here's a reason to hop back in. Whether this is a reward you'll get if you hop in today or you're this close to finishing this mission... It's basically going to like be telling you... What if you, the PlayStation itself was telling you... I'm sorry, I know this is Dom's question. Yeah. But what if it was telling you, hey, here's what the fuck was going on when you last played. So all those complaints about, you know, jumping into an RPG and the memes of Gandalf, like, what the fuck was I doing? Like, that goes away because your console itself is like, hey, so you were on this mission... You guys had just come back and saved at this point. Obviously, it's probably not advanced enough to talk to you in that casual of a way. Oh, yeah. But it could just spell it out for you. I've seen games specifically do this before, but it would be great if your console just kind of went into the back end, recognized things, and could tell you what the fuck was going on. Is this something that... Uh, how does this announcement speak to you, Dom? This particular feature? I don't know. Not really at all. I mean, it, it already sort of does this. I mean, when you're on the tile for a game and you just hit the down button, it basically goes into this dashboard for that game and it shows you, like, you were on this mission and you have, here's your friends that have played this and here's the communities around this game. And it, So it sounds like they're just, like, trophies. taking taking that but, like, putting it in, more in front of your face instead of well, you the, having to push a single button to get to it. I don't know. And this is multiple different things vying for your attention at once. So it's, like, not just one game popping up. The way they describe it, it's, like... It's basically like a bunch of, uh, you know, you're on your br- your internet browser. It's a bunch of pop-ups that are like, hey, come over here. Hey, no, come over here. Hey, no. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little hesitant. See, that, I like the simplicity. So Now, yeah. first of all, I just want to jump back on the point that Dom said. This didn't speak to him, probably because Jared was speaking to him, tele- yeah. playing telephone from, you know, Mark Cerny <laughs> or whoever the fuck that's typing into the blog, like, this interview or whatever it's like oh man why are we hearing this second hand through through a dialogue like they're acting like they're not unveiling a console and it's just upsetting because we're trying to imagine what the fuck they're talking about but i will say my one worry is this kind of sounds like a game like being its own ad for i mean you've already bought it or whatever essentially yeah. but but it's kind of it makes me wonder if they're going to push more towards where Xbox is because Xbox just has straight up ads on your home screen, right? Whether you're an Xbox Live Gold member or a Game Pass member, whatever, you're still getting served straight up advertisements on your home screen. Yeah. PlayStation has really only experimented with that, with like putting a Destiny icon on your home screen. Um, they just did it recently with me with putting a PlayStation Now icon on my home screen. Yeah, uh, yeah I got right that right in the too. middle of everything uh, when they did that re-shuffle uh, with it. And so that's obnoxious, but it's once in a blue moon, and it's certainly not as pervasive. So I'm hoping that they can delete them with too, that side thankfully. of their UI. Yeah, I hope they stay with that side of their UI and uh, aren't serving just straight up ads like hey go buy destiny 3 or whatever so let's get to the rest of this information uh playstation also reconfirmed that ghost of tsushima is still set to be a playstation 4 title 
I know there was some questioning of like, is it going to be a cross-gen title? What's happening with it? Because we haven't really heard much since it was originally unveiled at the 2017 Paris Games Week. And then I think it came up at like that year's PSX. No, the following E3, because that was when they had the the very uh, annoying uh, E3 presentation with the going to different rooms and having that guy play the instrument on yep. stage. Um, Which... By the way, I was showing my friends that demo because we were watching some other samurai stuff. And the tr- original trailer and that demo are really interesting, but when you sandwich it in between, sorry I'm on another tangent about how fucked up Sony is at this point, but like when you're moving people into other rooms during the middle of your E3 presentation and then you have this random dude who's apparently a guru at this random flute or whatever instrument, it's just sorry i'm just really fucking passionate about playstation and it just doesn't make any fucking sense uh i was was waiting for you to finish uh so last week we talked about the rumors from game daily dot biz about some confusion in terms of communicating with developers so in relation to all of this new info coming out jason schreier tweeted i did ask a couple of people about some rumors last week that sony was communicating poorly about the PS5 and heard the exact opposite. One third-party dev said the hardware was excellent and tools were on time. Now, here's the thing. Many people read this and were like, oh, well, then this totally unconfirms those other rumors. Both of them can be true. It just depends on who you talk to, right? Yeah. I will say, though, as much as I don't love Jason Schreier, like on podcasts and stuff, he's kind of stuffy. He just doesn't seem very, very cheery guy, but... Um... I will say as far as, you know, him knowing his stuff in writing articles about the kind of underground shit going on in the industry, I would say he's more of a trusted source for me than, um, I went and read this Game Daily Biz article after we did the podcast last week, and um, I really don't, to me, I've never heard of this website before, and it's not something that strikes a chord with me, and then reading the article, I did not think it was nearly as well written as something like Jason would write. Um, and be on that level as far as uh, how much I felt I could trust it when they're talking about these rumors and the source that they're using and all that. I feel like it's handled in a much but, uh, better way with Jason. Jared's him. definitely right, though. I mean, that doesn't um, what Jason said doesn't invalidate or you know uh, make what the other rumor untrue. But it's what I said when we talked about that initial rumor was, well, this is one guy talking, one guy from one studio, right? Yeah, that's not it's representative not of the yeah. overall picture, right? Yeah. Whereas even what Jason said was a couple of devs. That might also not be representative of the true. greater and, picture of how they're communicating and so, and so on. So they both the, could be true. Yeah, the next piece here about, remember we talked about restructuring, how it's caused confusion. It also depends on what region that developer's from and how exactly that's all being handled. Um, exactly. Because one thing that went under the radar is the day that all of this PlayStation 5 stuff was announced, Normally, the way companies do things is if there's going to be some bad PR out there. They like to cushion it with some good PR. That same day, uh, Sony actually laid off dozens of people at Sony Interactive Entertainment in Europe. Um, wow. The same day all this info was revealed. Uh, so those affected said it was actually part of the restructuring that was revealed by Game Daily last week. And uh, the EU employees weren't even informed about the announcements that were happening that day. Uh, and basically... You, you they, know- when you when these stories come up, we look at that as like people losing jobs, human beings with lives losing jobs, and these companies they just shave that shit off like it's n- nothing, man. Like it's just excess. They're like, yeah, we got a few extras around here. Let's just cut them off, and then you know, we'll be making more money for ourselves. It's it, wild how they just 
just toss that sh- those people to the wayside. And it seems it was about consolidation that there was people who did the same type of jobs in, you know, SIE America and the whole power struggle that's that's been happening between uh, SIE Europe and and America. Um, what was the thing you brought up earlier in the podcast that I said was going to be relevant now? What was it with the power struggle and the restructuring? There was something you had talked about. Uh, I can't remember now off the top of my head. I should have wrote it down. But uh, the – yeah, I should have remembered. Um, the last thing is that they reached out to Sony to ask about the layoffs and they declined to comment, um, which obviously yeah, they're not going to really want to comment on laying off people. Um the last thing, uh, it's unfortunate I can't remember that, that last talking point, but there was a, a poll that IGN did, and they asked their readers to vote on what PS5 feature they felt they were most excited for. And Jim Ryan is not going to be happy about this list, I'll tell you what. Mm. So at 6%, we have the haptic triggers, okay? Tying at 6%, we have the 4K Blu-ray. At 11%, we have the built-in ray tracing, which was mentioned in this interview, but we already knew about that from uh, the interview earlier this year, so I didn't bring it up. Yeah, the other interview where we didn't see the ray tracing. <laughs> uh, tied at eleven percent too. None of them. None of them excited people. Twenty-three uh, percent faster loading times. Makes sense. Gamers want to get into oh, their yeah. games faster. And at number one, what would you guys guess at forty-two percent? What would you guess the number one feature is? Right, I already. I already know it, so. Okay. Jordan, what would you guess? Oh, I thought Don was just really confident there. I was like, hell yeah, dude. Um, What's something Jim Ryan thinks isn't important, but was announced as a feature for the PS4? The fact that they're going to be able to play their PS4 games and possibly more backwards compatibility. Exactly. Yep, 42%. Uh, So that's why I say, yeah, Jim Ryan is going to be too excited. Um, I mean, Jim Ryan needs to look at the other things that are so low and and how, like, none of them as a choice is higher than a lot of, like, several of the features. So it's like, ugh, man, I could go on for a long time about this, but I will just say, so far, and I think I'm really at the point now where I'm confident, we're far enough into it, they have fumbled the absolute shit out of the PS5 launch, the transition, I will say, from the end of the generation with the PS4 and now into the PS5. So far, they have done nothing but fumble, and I, at this point, I really can't imagine them knocking it out of the park when they oh. finally fucking show us something. So I remembered the talking point. You mentioned PSX Yay. earlier. So apparently with the power struggles, America wanted PSX to be going down because it was happening in oh, our own PSX. backyard. And PlayStation Europe wanted to focus on Paris Games Week. And there was always uh, an argument over where they wanted to showcase stuff. And that's why uh, in Paris Games Week 2017, when we saw the reveal Ghost of Tsushima, apparently that was the argument between America and Europe. And America actually wanted it to be unveiled later in the year during PSX. Um, But it happened at uh, Paris Games Week. So there was a lot of wow. argument about when games should be revealed, whether at a European event like Gamescom or Paris Games Week, or an American event like E3 or uh, PSX. So, But I will say, all the way back at E3 of that year, I was like, sucker punch, where the fuck are you? One of the few times that I actually tweeted, I was like, sucker punch, what the fuck were you doing? Like, not, I didn't actually say this, I was respectful. 
I just say it was a, a big missed opportunity there, and uh, it made their E3 a lot more lame in my eyes. And just like they're st- they were like, no, no, we want to wait even longer. Where <laughs> that game, man? It's it's it looks so incredible, and we haven't heard about it for so long. And that is a big part of this whole situation with the fumble that they're having. Uh, we've ran kind of long, so let's do our what we're going to be playing pretty quickly. For me, uh, Gears 5, whenever a game I decide to buy with a refund money from Ghost Recon Breakpoint. Uh, and I'm going to try to get to the theater to see Joker as well. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for me. What about you guys? Man, uh, El Camino drops on Netflix in like a couple hours. It's probably going to be till tomorrow night until I actually watch it. But shit, I can't wait for this Breaking Bad movie. And I'm going to play some Prey as well. It's pretty cool so far. So, as the biggest Zelda fan in the group, let me say, Dom, I am waiting on El Camino until I rewatch Breaking Bad. If I hear that it's good from fellow Breaking Bad fans like yourself, I might get back to El Camino once I do my rewatch. But for now, even if I hear it's great, I'm waiting because it's just like... For now, I'm just sitting with Breaking Bad, even though we've got the Saul spinoff, I know. Man, that'd be nice. I'm too spoiler-sensitive, and I I would ruin it for myself somehow. True, and I, I will say this. Saul goes after Breaking Bad as well, so it's not the first time we've technically had like sequel material True. to Breaking Bad. That's not really a spoiler. Saul has jumps at the every beginning of every season. They do like a black-and-white scene of like him after Breaking Bad, so... Uh, Jordan, what are you going to be playing, experiencing? So, um, I would say that I am going to continue watching one of the greatest anime series of all time, Jared. And it's a, essentially a sequel, or a spiritual successor, I should say, to uh, the one that you're currently watching. The masterpiece that you're currently watching, which is Cowboy Bebop, is what you're watching. Um, I'm watching that creator's next series, which is Samurai Champloo, and it is uh, basically, the easiest way to describe it is uh, Samurais and Hip Hop. Um, the score is done by Nujabase, who is uh, a DJ from Japan, essentially, who unfortunately passed away several years ago, but is someone who... Uh, I would say had a lot to do in starting a whole musical sub-genre of like lo-fi hip-hop type of stuff that is what it's called on YouTube nowadays, but it was really just like his style of boom-bap type of instrumentals back in the day. Um, so he does the music for the series, and I'd, I'm not great with the Japanese creator names, so I can't remember, you don't happen to remember the name of uh, Bebop and Champloo's creator, do you, Jared? Uh, I'll search it real quick. He also did Blade Runner Blackout 2022, which is the anime prequel to 2049, which is, uh, is it, as uh, I told you guys, my favorite movie from before Joker, until Joker. Is it Shinichiro Watanabe? Yes, I think that's correct. Okay. So Watanabe is uh, the guy who's currently working on um, the... They're doing like a full Blade Runner anime instead of just the, the prequel short that he did, which is... I couldn't be more thrilled about. That's sorry, that's wrong. It's Hajime Yatate. Hajime. You sure. Yeah, created by Hajime Yatate. That Watanabe is attached to Metal Gear Solid, 
or Metal Gear. I or something. Sworn it was. Um, who knows? But anyways, Hajime Yatatari is the pseudonym for the collective contributions of the Sunrise Animation staff. That's why it says created by all of them. But his specific name is Watanabe. There you go. So okay, Hajime yeah, yeah. Hajime Yatate is the Shinichiro like, Watanabe is the guy I was referring to who is um, what I would describe him as the creator of Cowboy Bebop, Samurai Champloo, and now this new Blade Runner anime that I'm hyped on, um, and you know the 2022 short. So um, for Champloo, back to Champloo, I would say that um, this it's kind of like Return of the Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back, I think, is the better Star Wars movie. It's the best Star Wars movie by far. But Return of the Jedi is my favorite. And I would say that Cowboy Bebop is probably the best anime series of all time. Um, as so many people have said before. But of his uh, series, I would say that Samurai Shampoo is my favorite. Because um, it's Samurais and hip-hop, guys. I mean, uh, could you get any better? I mean, chocolate and peanut butter <laughs> right there, man. So... Um, and I'm a huge fan from this series, watching it as a kid, um, and then big big fan of New Job Ace ever since then, and have grown to love his own you know solo material. So um, the series is about these uh, a Ronin sham- samurai, and then kind of just a uh, a guy who has skills. He's kind of just a common thief though. That's like just a real badass. And then this chick, uh, this girl that's like 15 I guess goes the three of them go on this adventure to find the samurai that smells of sunflowers and um, so both of these two samurai guys are really fucking badass and the battle scenes are are just out of this world man Um, as are many of his action scenes but um, yeah as I it's a 25 episode series I've been trying to like or 26 maybe I'm trying to keep my anime, uh, like, ongoing series, the amount that I'm watching. Uh, trying not to watch too many at once. And, like, my buddies came over and one of my friends was like, Oh, I've been wanting to show our friend uh, Samurai Shampoo and I knew that you had it. Could we put it on? And I was like, Ugh. I guess I'm watching this now because I've been kind of, like, ra- waiting to rewatch it, you know? Um, since it's one of my favorites. And I'm like, well, I wasn't necessarily planning on doing this. But I didn't, like, say this to the people that I was just like, all right, I guess we're they're gonna watch the first few episodes with me, and I'm gonna like finish it on my own because it is, like I said, I think a masterpiece and is uh, possibly my favorite anime of all time. Could beat out Darker Than Black. I need to rewatch that. But um, all that said, yeah, fucking, if you can dig some samurais and some hip hop, get down with it, man. Samurai Champloo is C H A M P L O O. Thank you guys for listening to episode 162 of the Controlled Interest Gamecast. If you want to go over to YouTube, search Controlled Interest. We'll pop up. Uh, like our videos. They help us uh, you know, pop up in the algorithm. Uh, hit the bell notification after you algorithm. subscribe. That lets you know when we upload a new video. If you head over to Twitter, you can follow us at CTRLINT. That's Controlled Interest abbreviated. Uh, you can follow me individually at Jared underscore, Dom at Dom's Oreos, and Jordan at Melamotus. And if you listen to us on iTunes, leave us a review. It helps us out there as well. And we can get, uh, you know, pop up in the in the rankings and people can see our podcast and listen pop to us up. let's do it uh, ramble about anime and 
comic books and video games and all that good stuff. So catch us next yeah. week. Hopefully we have some interesting news regarding next gen. It'd be cool if maybe Xbox responded. I don't know when XO19 is. I need to ch- I think it's in <laughs> maybe November. Maybe Phil Spencer will just write something on a scroll and nail it to the front door of a church. Send us all. that'll be how we find out about Project Scarlet. He has an exclusive with Yahoo.com. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Bye.